0: afternoon show I'm Bill Arnold thank you for joining me today. Maybe you're still with me from the first hour maybe you've moved on but I hope you're having a good day and I hope that you' you' feel encouraged. We're gonna have a very hopeful hour coming up with my friend Jeff Verdorn. We're going to talk about God's plan. is God in control? Uh, it's gonna be a wonderful hour but before we get started with Jeff I just want to say boy, I sure love my listeners. I love all of you very much and i 'm glad when I get a chance to come here and be with you and spend these hours together and I got some uh, uh, kind of backlash and i 'm i'm just wanting to apologize to anybody who felt that I was um, not representing fairly, so I apologize for that. I also um know that there is um people that are emotionally charged, of course they are for many good reasons and um, I know this. This is a very difficult uh, subject when we talk politics, which I only do thirty minutes a week with Rob Louie and I let him pick the topics. So he sends over the topics that he'd like to discuss. So I let him kind of dictate the direction of the conversation. Um, so that's uh, his viewpoint from the uh, thedailysignal dot com. If you want to check over uh, that website and see what his colleagues are writing, you can certainly do that. But for those who feel that there is not enough representation uh both sides you know i'm i'm wide open to uh, finding good guests if you have a recommendation please let me know i'd love to uh i'd love to hear uh, what your recommendations are i'm wide open the show is uh, i'm here to serve the lord and also serve my listeners so i want to be there uh, helping uh, the conversation along the way and uplifting your spirits and giving you hope, and I also uh, got a couple of uh, ones that were a little mean, but that's okay because I've I can take it, and uh, I always try to figure out how can I improve, what can I do better, um, and that's kind of what I want to do every day. The great cellist Pablo Casals, he was 86 years old, and he was he was still practicing his cello six hours a day. Someone said to him, "Mr. Casals, you're you're 86." why are you practicing six hours a day? And he said, because I think I'm getting better. So I want to take all the information, data, criticisms, whether they're kind or not so kind and figure out where's the truth in all that. Cause I want to get better. So uh, thank you for the contributions you made. And I apologize if I stepped on some toes and um, my highest calling is to let people see Christ and see Christ first and foremost. And, um, that's what I want to do on this show. So, um, also got a whole bunch of comments from people, uh, very encouraging to me. So, um, m- thank you for that. That was beautiful. Uh, so many people have sent me notes, uh, th- just telling me to hang in there and they'd pray for me. So that's really nice. And yesterday I did open the show with a prayer for uh, the president. Today I encourage prayer for, uh, uh, Mr. Biden and Kamala. And so, um yeah it it's i'm trying to be as balanced as i can and i want to pray for our country and i want to pray um for um an fair um in government fairness in education fairness in the church fairness is good i'm um, in proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 says the lord detests dishonest scales but accurate weights find favor with him when pride comes Then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So hopefully you've heard a piece of humility from me today. So uh, there you go. And thank you for listening and for supporting Faith Radio. And thank you for listening to my show, because it means a whole lot to me. And thank you for the very positive remarks that were sent in. That meant a whole lot to me. I've had a really uh, rough day, and the comments that came in from listeners really changed the balance of my day. So thank you. That means a whole lot. So, all right. Now, getting back to the business at hand, my friend and uh, Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn, was going to join me today in studio. But because of this crazy weather, we've decided that we would go virtual, and he's coming to us via Skype. Jeff, welcome.
1: Hi, Bill. Ah, Can so you hear me good?
0: I hear you loud and clear. You sat through my Perfect. monologue.
1: Hey, re- okay, so really quick. Um, we know, for the record, we know, Bill, that you love your listeners. You love the radio station. You love what you do. You love your program. But most of all, you love your listeners. And I want to tell you that your listeners love you. And this listener loves you. Uh, so I want to thank you for your show, how you do it, how you treat your guests, um, your, uh, and how you lift up Christ uh, every hour, all week long. So.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. I, that means a lot. So, let's talk about, uh, is God in control? I think that question comes up quite often. You know, I think we hear conversation with people saying, oh, God's got this, or uh, God's in control, but you're asking the question today, is, is God in control?
1: I am. I, you know, 2020 has been a very interesting year. Um, and when bad times come, when bad things happen, when evil raises its ugly head and and uh we often hear that quip in one way or another uh, god is in control but i want to i want to examine this question um you know biblically is god does the bible say that god is really in control and if god is in control what does that mean about evil and evil happening in this world we know this world is a is an evil place right i mean there are evils of all sorts uh, every single day 1500 people are murdered every day Uh, around the world, 16,000 homicides in the United States every year, car thefts, burglaries, 200,000 rapes. There's 60 million dead from abortion since Roe v. Wade, Uh, hundreds of millions dead from totalitarian governments. Evil is, uh, you know, in Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since the first murder, when Cain killed Abel way back in Genesis, uh, this has kind of been the situation of man. So evil is present in this world, um, and it's actually kind of one of these theological sticky points that uh, people have made uh, an argument. It's kind of called the problem of evil, and it goes something like this. This The skeptics say, well, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Uh, and doesn't the existence of evil in the world mean there is no God? And then from a Christian perspective, we say, well, if God is in control, but if God is in control, why is there evil in this world? Doesn't it make him the controller or the author of evil? Uh, so this problem of evil has been around for a long, long time. Skeptics have, have brought this up that if, I, if God is all-loving and God is all-powerful, yet there's evil in the world, he is either not loving enough to take the evil away, or he's not powerful. Enough to take mm. evil away. That is and problem, therefore then, they it? conclude, yeah, and then they conclude, well, there's no God. Mm-hmm. God does not exist. Now, the Christian response we, we know that God exists. We know that evil exists. We know that God is all loving, He's benevolent, and we know He has the power to stop evil, His omnipotence, his, He's all powerful and yet there's still evil in the world. So just saying God is in control really doesn't uh, properly answer this fundamental question. But wait a minute, if God is in control, why is there still evil in the world? And if God is in control, doesn't that mean that the evil in the world therefore comes from God? You follow that? Mm -hmm. So that brings up this second problem, is evil from God. And it, again, the skeptics basically say, well, if God created everything and evil exists, well, then God must have created evil. And therefore there's no such thing as a good God or there's no God at all. So see, this is kind of an ancillary argument to this. Is we know there's evil in this world. You, you Christians claim that God made everything, so God must have made evil. Well, once again, the response from Christians is we know God is good. We know also that evil exists and hopefully we understand and know that no, 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 God did not create evil. Um, now, it's interesting because if you if you look at how we as Christians and, and even the world look at these things, God is often attributed to be the source of, of all these bad things. We see it culturally. For example, I've got an example of a an insurance industry brochure and in uh, insurance policies it used to say, you know, fires and floods and other acts of god, right? <laughs> that was actually listed in insurance company contracts. And it's like, well, wait a minute here. Are you sure this is from god? Is he the cause of these things? And there's been many books written, uh, why me god, uh, prayers from someone uh, with cancer. Why is God so mad at me? Um, multiple books and multiple authors have written on this topic of, well, why is God so bad? Why is he causing all these bad things in my life? Uh, have you ever seen the, sh- the movie Bruce Almighty? His yeah. Great theological masterpiece, you know, starring <laughs> Jim Carrey. Yeah, right. Well, at the start of the movie, his life's not going very well, right? Mm-hmm. And he's complaining to his wife, who was... Uh, who played his wife? Uh, oh, Jennifer, Jennifer Addison played his wife. And he basically says that uh, God is this, this big, is up in the sky. He's this big kid up in the sky with a giant magnifying glass and it's pointing right at me, all right? He thought all of the bad things that were happening to him were from God. It was God's fault. And, uh, you know, this, this long standing question if you've ever read Augustine, he says that darkness is not created, but is the absence of light. Wow, that's so powerful. Evil, yeah. So evil is the absence of good. So he says, is evil from God? No, 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 no. Evil is the absence of of good, just as darkness is the absence of light. Mm. So the so the core of this question is is God in control? Is he really in control? Is he really in control right now? And if he was, why is there evil? Wouldn't that make him the cause of evil? Um, and um, if you see, if God is, is really in control, doesn't your answers of, of the original question of the problem of evil it really doesn't answer that, that question. So we have to, first of all, as we discuss this kind of conundrum of, okay, well, we know there's evil in this world. We know that God is good. We know he's all powerful. Where does evil come from? Where did it come from in the first place? And so understanding the fall, which I think most Christians understand this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That the original fall, we actually have two falls in scripture. We have the fall of Satan or Lucifer. He fell from heaven. And we also have the fall of man. So Satan uh, who was Lucifer. So if you look at, there's two passages in scripture, and I, this is debated amongst theologians, but generally speaking, most believe that both Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, two passages that I'm going to kind of quote from here, um, are about Satan. So Ezekiel 28 says this about Lucifer. You were the seal of protection, of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Now, I know some say that that's referring to the King of Tyre, but the King of Tyre was not in the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, Satan was, um, and and so this Lucifer, which means light bearer or star of the morning, this 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 beautiful angelic creature, he fell, and we see his fall in Isaiah fourteen where it says, how you've fallen from heaven, O morning star, or O Lucifer, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to earth, you who were once low. And Isaiah 14 continues with what's kind of famously known as the five I will statements. Satan basically said, I will, I will, I will, I will five times. He says, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Um, He basically said, I want to be above God. I want to be the the number one here. Mm -hmm. And of course, his rebellion didn't get very far. He was thrown down, cast out of his position, and he fell. So, God didn't make evil. He made good. The evil came from his rebellion, from Satan's rebellion. Mm. Jeff,
0: I think we need to take a little stop, a little pause there. We'll be right back. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're talking about Is God in control? Hmm. We'll be right back, even though we know He is. Show. Jeff Redorn is my guest, my friend, my teacher, my Bible mentor, my all-around pal. Jeff, so Lucifer rebels against God and falls from his position, and he had pride in his heart, and he uh, fell from grace.
1: It was so I couldn't hear you there for a minute because the music, my favorite song, was playing over your words. Oh, on so my in other
0: words, place. you're listening to your favorite song and not listening to me talk.
1: Yeah, and I almost started singing, too, which would have been very (laughs) embarrassing.
0: Oh, very embarrassing. All right, so anyway, uh, Lucifer rebels and fell from his position. So there uh, is—we're talking about the fall of Satan, the five-eye wills.
1: Yep, so then the next fall, obviously, is man's fall. Now, we all remember this story. We're very familiar with it, the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, and we see the this, this Satan, the serpent, who was more crafty than all the other animals, and he comes and he tempts Eve. Now, God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but Satan came, and he said, if you do, you will surely die. Satan came along and said, no, you won't die, and they ate from the tree, and they died that day, right? And I think everybody recognizes that they left the garden. They didn't die physically that day. They died spiritually that day, They were in union with God before they sinned, and after they sinned, they were separated from God. God, who was holy and righteous, could no longer be joined with sinful man. So they died spiritually that day. And then God confronts Adam, and I love this line because the man says this. He says, oh, that woman you put here with me, well, she gave me some of this fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And I always ask my classes, well, who was Adam blaming for eating the fruit. And everybody says, well, the woman, right? And then I read it a little different. I say, this is, uh, Genesis three, verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here, she gave me some and I ate it. Mm. Who was, who was he really blaming? God, I, I think he was, I think you, you put this woman here, God, it's, it's your fault. And, uh, I think we tend to do that in a lot of things. We don't take responsibility, do we? We blame a lot of, blame a lot of people, including the Lord. Mm-hmm. So God did not create evil. Here's the bottom line. He made things that were good. The angelic kingdom was good. Man was good. All that he made was good. He says it over and over, and he saw what he had made was good. But here's the problem. The fall messed everything up. So now we live in a fallen world. So we have earthquakes and volcanoes and tornadoes and hurricanes. Uh, The Bible even says in Romans eight, that creation somehow was frustrated at the fall. And it says that it groans as if in pains of childbirth. So when I see these natural disasters, I know a lot of people want to throw those right at God's feet. Why is God sending a hurricane? And I go right to Romans 8 and say, well, wait a minute here. It says that creation is frustrated and that it groans in anticipation of being set right once again by God when he will make all things new, when he will redeem even creation. So we live in a fallen world. We live around fallen people. There's lots of lost people uh, who do bad things. There's criminals and thugs and bullies. People act evil. There's human trafficking and rape and abortion. And, you know, Jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? And we have this fallen angel running around, mucking things up. First Peter says that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Paul says, by the way, that we're supposed to know his schemes. And I kind of summarize Satan schemes and lies. He lies, he tempts, and he torments.
0: Mm -hmm. If I could just pause here for a second, Jeff, I I do want to go back to something you said about, you know, we live around fallen people, and we've got the, you talked about dictators and people that do child trafficking and criminals and thugs and bullies and, you know, people, um, and there's all kinds of grace and forgiveness for all these people as well.
1: Yeah, it's one of the great truths of God, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And Paul says that Christ died for him, even him, the worst of sinners. Um, So we know that while there are evil people in this world, God's desire— uh, God's heart. He wishes none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. That's a good reminder that we as the church, in fact, that is the mission. That is the primary mission of the church is to bring the gospel to the world and to save them. So we do not, as a as a believing group called the church, we do not pay, repay evil with evil, but we repay evil with good. And one of the best goods that we can do is offer them a cure to this greatest disease The greatest pandemic that's ever come upon the world is sin and death. Mm -hmm. And you know that we know the one that has the vaccine, and that is Christ. Right.
0: But if there was someone out there who was once involved in human, human trafficking or had an abortion or did some horrible act of rape or some criminal behavior, and they have fully repented and asked Christ into their life, then they've got this beautiful gift of being born again and being made new and the old is gone and the new is there. So I, I just, I think, you know, despite all the fallen people around us, I appreciate the fact we're just pausing to say, despite all that, we have
1: an answer, which is Jesus. We do. You cannot out God's grace. That's true. Nicely said. Yeah. yeah. So we live in a fallen world. We live with fallen people. We live with a fallen angel mucking things up. We also, by the way, we have our own, actions, right? We, we have free will. We can, we, we can do things contrary to God's will in our lives that have consequences. So if we do drugs, even as a believer or, or adultery or lying or stealing, there's going to be consequences. Those things, there can be health consequences, legal consequences. Our families might be broken up because of the consequences. Um, So um, we live with our, our own actions. So that, so bad things happen in this world. And there's lots of lots of reasons, um, and and potential causes for these bad things happening in this world. But what I don't think is an option biblically. I don't think these bad things come from God. In fact, I I really believe that the Bible is clear that evil does not come from God. And some may say, well, what about Job? Remember the story of Job. Mm-hmm. So he had he he was blessed and all these wealth and family and and then all these bad things came upon Job. And you remember right away at the very beginning, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, who did his wife think all these bad things were coming from? Good point. She thought they were coming from God. And mm-hmm. Job even replies to her, shall we accept the good from God and not the bad or not adversity? Mm-hmm. And so where did you think Job thought these bad things were coming from? And then we go on, you know, we know the story, right? Satan comes yeah. up.
0: And, We'd have to figure, we're going to have to continue after the break, though, Jeff. We're up against a right. hard one here. We'll be back with Jeff Verdorn in just a minute. With Jeff Dorn talking about is God in control, and we were just before the break. Uh, I cut you off, unfortunately, Jeff. We were talking about Job, and Job's wife said, "Why don't you just curse God and get this over with?"
1: Yeah. So then, it, so his wife really isn't the help, um, and then his <laughs> friends come along much for thirty-five. Either. No, <laughs> for thirty-five chapters, they keep telling Job, "It's it's your fault. It's your sin. God's punishing you for your sin." Basically, so we get to the end of Job, and it's like. Job thinks this is all from God. His wife thinks it's all from God. His friends think it's all from God because of Job's sin, basically. And fortunately, we have the luxury of having Job chapter one. And we know where this comes from. Satan comes before God. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? He's a good man. And And he says, well, of course he fears you. You've blessed him and protect him. Take that all away and he'll curse you. And, uh, and of course, God says, all right, you know, you can go. He, t- he removes whatever kind of spiritual hedge of protection or whatever is there. But it's from Satan's hand that all this bad stuff comes. So we have the understanding and the one should be able to read Job chapter one and know that it's not from God. It was from Satan's hand. Um, we see this even in the New Testament, the story of the blind man in John chapter nine, when when uh, the blind man is going along and the, the disciples who understood it was a common understanding in the first century and, and and even today for many many people that oh sickness and disease and all that is from god because of somebody's sin and so as disciples ask him jesus rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind and Jesus of course says neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him his blindness was not caused by god so i just don't think it is an option to theologically place all these bad things that happen in the world the evils of this world on god in fact i think there's many places that scripture declares James 1 says that God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does himself does not tempt anyone. So if he doesn't even tempt anyone to do wrong, how can he be the cause of wrong or yeah, evil? Let's repeat that,
0: James 1.13, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone.
1: Correct. So if you, you know, when you are tempted, we know the Bible says that temptation comes from the evil one. That's one of his schemes— And and James goes on to say that when temptation comes, it pricks our desire, and then our desire, we, then act out, and it leads to sin, right? Mm -hmm. So you could never say, the devil made me do it. That's not a truism from the Bible either. The devil may tempt you, but you decide to do it. Uh, The other areas, God says that uh, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, We know that death and pain, disease, calamity, bad things, evil is the result of sin coming in this world. It does not uh, come from God. And someone might say, well, what about God's wrath? What about God's wrath? We see God punishing uh, the world in the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife. Israel was punished uh, by God. And that's all true. These are all Old Old Testament examples of God's wrath. Uh, but they their wrath, generally speaking, on an unbelieving world. And mm-hmm. I think they're, they're physical pictures, they're physical pictures of the ultimate wrath of God, which is going to be condemnation for an unbelieving world, right? Mm-hmm. And second Peter two actually I think tells us this. So I wanna I wanna read Second Peter two. Uh, starting in verse four, it says, For God did not for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned but sent them to hell or to Taurus, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, preacher of righteousness and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So these pictures of God's wrath on unbelievers and the ungodly are really pictures, examples to the world of what's going to happen for those who don't believe and accept Christ and are now still under God's wrath. And wrath, remember, is not evil. Wrath is from God. And in fact, in Revelation 16, at the end of the age, when God is pouring out his wrath for the final time on the world, it says this, that the heavens say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were, for they have shed the bloods of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So we also don't want to confuse God's wrath, his judgment, with evil.
2: Okay? Mm-hmm.
1: Um and and then one last word when we talk about wrath, just a reminder to Christians that we as Christians are no longer under the wrath of God.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, what about bad things for for Christians?
1: Well, things, if you, if your sins, so the, the general uh, premise here, If you've got wrath coming on, bad things coming on you, and you want to blame God, it's not from God. So you have to remember a couple truths that come from Scripture. First, your sins have been atoned for. Mm -hmm. You're not being punished for sin. God's wrath has been lifted from the believer. He says that he no longer counts your sins against you, right? Mm 1 Corinthians 5. He says he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. So I think a lot of Christians live their lives as, oh, I sinned, and therefore I'm going to be punished somehow by God in this life. So when something bad comes, a sickness or disease or an accident, they see it uh, kind of like Bruce Almighty saw it, that, oh, God's punishing me for my sin. And I, this is just a good reminder to Christians, no, God's wrath, his punishment has been lifted from you. It was placed on Christ on the cross. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And actually not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this is just a good reminder for Christians. You're not being punished for your sins. Your sins have been atoned for. They've been taken care of. Um, So how should Christians respond when evil, when the bad things come into our lives. And and by the way, at this point, I just want to remind all your listeners, if there are people that are going through really bad situations, that evil has come to them. uh, Remember, our spiritual battle is a spiritual battle, and God says, when the day of evil comes, not if, but when. Um, So I'm sure we have all experienced uh, this kind of evil that comes into the world. I just want to pause and say, you know, we're doing kind of a theological um, you know, study of the issues of evil and stuff like that. If you're going through it right now, God is your shield. He is your strength. He is your help. Um, and, uh, and trust in him. Um, so I know this, I don't, I just, I guess it's just a quick kind of pause to remember, this is not just some kind of theological discussion. There are real people going through real issues mm-hmm. right now. So God says, put on the full armor, Put on the full arm, because when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground, because the days are evil, Paul says in Ephesians. And in this world, Jesus says, we will have trouble. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you have also overcome the world. And never forget this promise that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. mm mm-hmm wonderful
0: promise. Yeah. Okay, Jeff, we get this a lot. We hear it a lot even on Faith Radio that when there's bad times or disasters going on, people will say God is in control.
1: Yeah, I know. And I we know their heart and I, this is a nuanced discussion here, but I really think Christians we need to understand this. So I get we say this, we we sing the songs, you know, God is in control. But the truth is, biblically Satan is actually the one that is in control on this earth. So 1 John 5:19 says this, "We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, the evil one." Mm-hmm. The evil one is in control of this world right now. He is called. That's why John calls him the prince of this world. Paul says he's the God of this age. That's why when Jesus was tempted, if you remember the temptation of Jesus, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I will give you all this.
0: As if they were his to give.
1: Exactly. So we see that he, God has allowed Satan a certain amount of of, uh, you know, authority, of freedom to be in this world, to go around mucking it up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is a hard theological example. So I came up with this metaphor. Now, I know all metaphors uh, fall short in many different ways, but just hear me out here. I see the world as kind of like a playground, right? Now, again, this is not a perfect— <laughs> Okay, the world is... I'll hang the in with you. Is... Okay, <laughs> the world is like a playground. God is like the principal, and he's sitting in his principal office in the corner of, of the building looking out his window at the playground, and there's this bully running around, stealing your lunch money, right, and, and punching you in the stomach, and the principal, one day, one day, is going to skid up out of his chair, come over to the playground, and grab that bully by the collar and rip him out of this world, and finally take care of him. The principal's in control of the entire school. I know that. But right now, the bully seems to be in control of that playground. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? What I do you do. think of my metaphor? I, it works for me.
0: You know, All it's right. uh, it's a, it's good because it's, um, it's, you go back to that passage where it says that the evil one is in control of this world. And I do want to get back to the idea because I don't want to make anybody nervous thinking that that it's it's not God who is our refuge and our strength and our very source in time of trouble, and it's him to which we run to for safety and for security, and he's always there for us.
1: And He uh, and I know that he does intercede, just like Job, that hedge of protection. I, I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed for protection uh, to keep us from the evil one, right? From God, saying, Lord, I know this world is messed up, I pray for that hedge of protection for that, for your hand to protect my family and my children and so on. So we should pray about everything. Um, Let me read one commentary. And I think uh, the words of this commentary, uh, I think, sum up uh, my metaphor, uh, even flawed as it is. The phrase God of this world indicates that Satan is a major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, views, and the majority of people in this world. His influence also encompasses the world's philosophies, education, and commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from his lies and deceptions. Satan is also called the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this world. These titles and many more signify Satan's capability. To say, for example, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air is to signify that in some way he rules over the world and the people in it. This is not to say that he rules the world completely. God is still sovereign. There's that word sovereign. Hang on a minute. Hang on to that word. But it does mean that God, in his infinite wisdom, and in his way and his plans, has allowed Satan to operate in the world within the boundaries that God has set for him. And I think that's a good summary of what we've been talking
0: about. I do, too. And it might be a good time to take a break. And when we come back, Jeff, let's talk about God is sovereign. That will be hopeful and encouraging to all the listeners. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. After a short break, we'll be right back.
2: with Jeff Ferdorn,
0: my friend and teacher, and uh, he's been teaching God's Word for many, many years. And we're talking today about, uh, is God in control? And we're at a really a lovely point where God is sovereign. So let's uh, pick it up from there, Jeff.
1: Yeah. So let's make the last 15 minutes here all positive, all Yay. hope. Uh, you know, let's get away <laughs> from the evil Yay. stuff. Because We do have a view. We do have a hope. So his sovereignty, God is sovereign. This is the natural consequence of his omniscience and his omnipotence and omnipresence. He can do whatever he wants in his creation. He made it. He's the boss. He gets to do anything. Now, there is a disagreement over what this word sovereign means or God's sovereignty. Does it mean he exerts control over all the events and the wills of men, or does it mean his will will be done in the end, despite seven billion little wills running around on this planet. So, you see the difference?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, some want to take his sovereignty, like God's in control, he's sovereign. So, everything happens according to his will or his plan or his purposes or his whatever. The other view says that, well, no, 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 we have a angel, fallen angel running around and seven billion little wills running around, and they're mucking everything up. And yet, despite all that, in the end, God's will will be done in the end mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's the view and understanding of God's sovereignty. And so what are some of his promises when this day comes, when evil comes? When bad things happen, um, what are some of the biblical promises for christians because we this that day of evil does come well, I think one of the greatest ones, and this goes right to his sovereignty is romans eight twenty eight and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose romans eight twenty eight and so this verse is dis- whatever you're going through, whatever the situations, whatever the events, know that God is working this ultimately for good. And that good ultimately is realized with the return of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and our eternal state, which is very good. But even in this world, do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers, uh, carried off Uh, Into Egypt. And then he saves the country with the seven years of plenty and then the seven years of famine. Mm -hmm. And his brothers come to him to get some food because he was put in charge of the storehouses. And he says this line now they did evil. His brothers did evil. He experienced evil. I wish we could all react like this, like Joseph reacted, because what he says is just astounding to me. He says, what you intended for evil, God used for good.
0: It's so strong. Wow.
1: It is. Mm -hmm. So God does use all things. Now, here's, I think, the unfortunate part. We may not always see or recognize how God ends up using the bad things that come in our lives, but we know that he promised that he does. You know, one of the biggest events of all, of course, when we're talking about whether it's good or bad or how God uses it or whatever, is the crucifixion itself, right? I mean, if you were a man standing at the foot of the cross and you knew who this guy was, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate, you would say, this is the worst event in human history. This is terrible. This there couldn't be anything year. there couldn't be anything worse. There couldn't. Th- no, God this was the Messiah
0: to... and he's now beaten beyond recognition and nailed to a cross, left to
1: die? Yeah. God comes to earth, God comes to man and man kills God. And I don't think it can get more evil, more terrible, more more worse than that. But if we know the rest of the story, 3 days later God used the evil that was inflicted on his son. And now we look back and go, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't the worst event in human history. That was the greatest event
0: in (laughs) human history. Mm -hmm.
1: And so we tend to look at things even as bad things come upon us. It's like, well, how do you, are you sure that's bad? Are you sure it's a bad thing? You know, this happens, uh, let's just take a simple everyday example. When I get stopped at a stoplight, I get frustrated. I'm not a very patient person by nature. And it's like, oh, my goodness, Lord, why did you say? And then I stop and I think, well, maybe he kept me from an accident up ahead at the next light. Right. So we even tend to mis-evaluate whether or not something's good or bad. But
0: Jeff, Um, here's, you know, Jeff, what about the person that wins the lottery? Oh, that's the best news we've ever heard. Congratulations, and then you find out two years later, they've lost their life, uh, broke in Las Vegas. You go, wow, what happened? Um, you know, you, you we start deciding what's good and what's bad. And I know we both, uh, love, I think of the next point you're going to make, I'll let you make it.
1: Oh, the Chinese farmer.
0: One of my favorites.
1: Uh, <laughs> so the, the parable of the Chinese farmer, I love it because there was a farmer, and his prized mare escapes and runs into the mountains, and all of his neighbors come to him, oh, what a terrible thing, and the man, the farmer, says, well, how do you know? And then the next day, the mare returns with a herd of stallions following her, and they corral them all up, and now he's got all these horses, and all of his neighbors come to him and say, what a wonderful thing, and the man says, how do you know? And then the next day, the sun was breaking in one of the stallions, but he gets thrown off and Breaks both of his legs and all of his neighbors come to him and say, say, what a terrible thing. And the farmer says, how do you know? And the next day the army comes. We're being invaded from the north and every able-bodied men to the front, but they leave his son behind because of his broken legs. And all of his neighbors say, what a wonderful thing. And the farmer says, how do you know? So we don't know how God is going to use the events of our lives, both good and bad, for his purposes in the end. But we can trust him that he is working it for good. And so a couple of the other promises. Let's end on a couple of some of the great promises of God. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Do you know that this evil in this world can actually kill Christians? Satan has killed many. Do not fear him who can destroy the body, right? Mm -hmm. So there have been many who have died for their faith over the last 2,000 years. And God says, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That because Satan has no power over your internal inheritance in heaven amen mm, amen second corinthians 4 17 says for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all our light Love it now I, once again we got to be careful in the sense that if you're going through uh, i have a good friend that just lost her husband and that's painful i get it it is but when we have an eternal view, God says, hey, the things of this world, as bad as they seem, one day in, in eternity, we will look back and we will recognize them as light and momentary. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's really amazing, Jeff. Well, so the, the big question, is God in control? And I, I just think that the, with all, open up the newspaper is that if this is God controlling this world, well, then, you know, it's going to be better when truly God is controlling this world. He said he's going to come. So does God, why doesn't God stop evil? And actually, I teach a class on the end times. And one of the most common questions I get is, why doesn't God just end all this right now and come back? And it's like I don't have a real good answer for you. The only thing I know is he's patient with us, not wanting any to perish. And I think that's probably why more and more people are being saved. But we know one day the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to step out of his throne, come back to earth, and he is going to end evil, and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I've read the back of the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We win. Mm -hmm. And that is the hope. And in the meantime, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of, dark, of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's Ephesians 6. So God says, put on your armor, dress in that armor, and uh, stand firm then in him. So That's awesome. Very encouraging.
0: Uh, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, that's usually the uh, the victor is standing at the end of the battle.
1: Yeah, and I love the line that it's He that is able to make you stand. Right. Yeah, I love that. Oh, it's His armor, His yeah. salvation, the helmet of salvation, His yeah. righteousness, His word. Yeah. So.
0: Jeff, thanks for doing the show today. Thanks uh, for being my guest in uh, the second hour. I I have uh, enjoyed this thoroughly.
1: I hope the uh, microphone worked from home. Uh, this it was getting slick. I I actually left my home and started, and it's like, oh, this is too bad. I yeah. want to turn around. So I'm glad you did. I will
0: talk to you again soon. Jeff, thanks for being my guest. Thanks, Bill. Yep, have a good rest of the day. That wraps up our show. Thank you uh, today for uh, showing up and uh, loving on me. Uh, You just were remarkable. I have so much gratitude in my heart tonight. Thank you so much. I feel so loved, and I hope uh, you get that same love from me, because I do love you and look forward to our time tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. See you soon.